Welcome to the Monday Morning Pastor. Bob Hyatt, how are you? Hey, I am well, Doug. I Well, I should say I'm hot. It's hot in Boise. How, how are you doing? How's the weather? Uh, the, we- the weather the weather here is also hot. Um, okay. We, so we're hot. We, we never get... Established that. We are. Yeah. We <laughs> never get dry heat. On so many levels are we hot. I mean... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we have that established. That's for sure. But yeah, how how has nice. your summer been? It has been good, man. Uh, we had a pretty mild beginning to the summer. The heat's now kicked in. So that's kind of a bummer for me growing up in San Diego, like 65 <laughs> to 75. That's my comfort zone. Anything outside of that. And I and then I'm just going to complain. So <laughs> nice. nice. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's been great. A lot of time outdoors, a lot of bike riding that stuff. You you just got back from a trip. You went to England, hey? I did, yeah. Uh definitely uh the 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 one of my favorite places that I've ever been. Uh I'm already ready to go back. I'm trying to figure out how to set up a some kind of a a pilgrimage for pastors to to hike the Yorkshire Dales or do something wow. like that. It's so good. It's just so good. That's nice. Um, yeah, I love traveling, love seeing new places and in the in the 18 days that we were there we literally started in the south east corner and we f- we went around almost the entire the perimeter of the entire country and wow. and finished finished up in oxford so nice it was it was a lot of driving um and yeah i, I it was definitely weird driving on the wrong side of the car and the wrong side of the road at the yes. same time i'll tell you Nothing is more terrifying than getting into a car in England, sitting in that seat where there's supposed to be a steering wheel and there isn't, yeah. and barreling down the down their freeway, down the highway, and you just you're looking to step on the brake and there's no pedal <laughs> and it is so it just messes with your head. It's so yeah. bad. Uh. My my son was the co-pilot and he did a great job, but I'll tell you what, man, those roundabouts, oh, they, yeah. took some, they took some yeah. getting used to. And it was so funny because I kept reaching for the stick shift with my right hand and rolling windows down. <laughs> and I'm like, ah, like, you know, I'm like trying to downshift into second. Oh, yeah. it was so funny. And I would just watch in the rearview mirror, my wife's head go like, whoop, to one side and then whoop, back to the other side. And then she'd be okay. <laughs> Oh, so funny. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad you survived. I'm glad you made it back. Me too. Me too. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, this is the, this is the last episode of this season and this has been my first season as co-host. Yeah. Bob, how does it feel at the end of the, like, should we play like boys to men, end of the road, sort of in the background (laughs) as you have this beautiful monologue? Friends are friends forever. Um, No, it's it's good. Uh, you know, I know coming in and and following Jr. Jr. has his own like. You get to know him. He's a funny guy, but I think uh, he's a bit more serious. Just like his base level, uh, particularly in in podcasting, he's I think he's just more serious than I am. And so I think coming into coming into Monday Morning Pastor, I think that's kind of where I was at was was just trying to not be too far removed from what it had been. And I think now kind of getting more comfortable, like I think we can, 
we'll probably joke around a little bit more and yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I feel like, uh, I guess I would say I was walking in somebody else's shoes coming in and now it's like, oh, I got my flip flops on. It's good. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Well, you look good in flip flops. Um, oh, yeah. Thanks, and, and I, I think what's cool is, is, you know, this past season felt a little more disjointed than all the other seasons. And some of that was just us kind of getting our feet under us and figuring out what things we're going to, yeah, where we're going, what we're going to do. And so you and I have had some really fun conversations thinking about the season that's going to come up, um, you know, our next season. And just want to let everyone know, like, thanks for email and checking in on us and just seeing what's going on. We're going to be uh, starting September, we're going to be back on a weekly basis. So every Monday, you'll see a, a podcast. Um, as Bob put it, we're going to try to be 20% funnier, um, which <laughs> uh, we're, we're super excited about that. Um, we're, we're, we're setting the bar at something reasonable. Like, we know it's, it's not going to be like morning zoo funny. You know, we know we're never going to quite be. A, it's not a comedy podcast, but I feel like we can loosen up just a little bit. Just, you know, a little 20% more. Yeah, that's yeah. what we're going to go for. And I think we can yeah. do that. Yeah, I, I think so. And um, yeah, we, we already have some really fantastic guests lined up. Um, and we're, we're, we're looking to, to kind of change up a little bit of the format. You'll hear a few more uh, podcasts with just Bob and I talking about some of the things that, that we're hearing uh, in the church world or in the world in general. Um, and we're looking forward to that. We've got a couple of bits we're bringing on. Um, we're going to have, uh, some, some, um, it's actually, this is the, the bit that I'm the most excited about. And it's, is it a, is it a, a love song to Jesus or a love song to your girlfriend, boyfriend? So that'll be, be, be part of it. And the other part is, is it a romance novel title? or a sermon series title. Um, and we, we have a guest that's going to join us on a pretty regular basis, helping us uh, well, discern uh, yeah. what is what. Yeah. That's, we'll have to see. We'll have to see. Cause, cause uh, I feel like maybe the lines have gotten a little too blurred in between the romance <laughs> and, and the Jesus categories. Agreed. And agreed. Maybe we can help write the ship just a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's our goal for the season to just, to, to help yeah. take like cringeworthiness out of some of the yeah. things. Um, I was, uh, I, I just read something the other day and it was saying 16 cringeworthy dating themes, sermon titles. Have you seen oh, this Bob? No. Oh, do, no do you want to hear it now? Do you want to hear just a few of them? Give me just a taste, just a taste. All right. I'll just a taste. All right. Ready? Uh, this one is, uh, how far is too far? Remembering the three H's, hugs, handholding, and hell, um, which I thought was really Wait, good. Did, was that last one? Did you say hugs, handholding, and hell? Hell, correct. Yes, correct. Yep. Uh, oh, wow. 50, that, that, that turned a corner quickly. It did. That, it did. Uh, like, hugs, I was, handholding, and hell. That's right. <laughs> I was following right along. And then when it dropped to hell, I was like, oh. Oh, I didn't realize that, that was the progression. I thought it was a little different, but yeah. Um, Fifty Shades of Don't, uh, embracing the freedom of never even thinking about sex at all. Oh, what? Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What, what church yeah. was that? <laughs> uh, I'm not sure. 
I am not sure. Uh, there apparently there's not a big dating population there any longer, though. Oh um, man, this one All was right. really good. This was swiping right into hell. Your soul okay. in the era of Tinder. Okay, th- I'm I'm gonna call parody on those. I think somebody must have come up with those because that's nobody did that. Nobody did that. You're gonna know, have to Bob. send that to me, and we'll we'll let people know later on. We'll do the research. Yeah. Yes, and we'll see. Yeah. Were these actual sermon titles, or was this someone? We'll get, our, funny? We'll get our people on it, right? Like yeah, the we'll team. get the research the staff. Researchers. On it. Yeah. 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 All right. We probably we probably need some research staff. For the next season just anyways um That'd be good yeah well i know we have a podcast to introduce here and i know i wasn't on this one i wasn't recording with you so who was it that you had the conversation with and yeah. what was it about great question so i had the privilege of um interviewing natalie runyon and she is a worship leader uh she was at a church out in colorado for quite a few years uh, she's a pastor's kid uh, who became a pastor. She wrote this phenomenal book uh, that I just found to be super helpful in an age where it seems like everyone is kind of saying when church hurt happens, uh, it's called Raised to Stay. Yeah. And the book is just dealing with the trauma of being in the church, but also having a grace towards uh, mm. the people of God and just seeing them as people uh, and not as God. So I I, I really appreciated the conversation. Um, and yeah, um, I think I think you're going to like it too. So if if you know a pastor that struggled with church hurt, I highly recommend you take a minute and forward them this podcast and just um yeah, have a conversation with them afterwards, see what it stirred up. Um but folks, it's been a great season. We've really enjoyed um being with you. Thank you for listening. Uh we ask that if you would take a minute and just leave us a review, uh continue to share our podcast and we will see you back in September. Natalie, welcome to the Monday Morning Pastor. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, it is great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I appreciate your uh, your 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 willingness to deal with some of the difficulties of getting this podcast started. Hey, if it was easy, God wouldn't be in it. I'm just gonna say it. <laughs> I appreciate that a ton. Well, we're we're, we're going to talk about a gift that you have given to the church, uh, which is a book that you wrote called "Raised to Stay." Um, but before we jump into some of the particulars about that, I'd love to just have you share some of your story. And I know a lot of that is captured in the book. But yeah, tell us a little bit about who you are and your calling. Well, I'm a wife and a mom. I have two daughters who are uh, 10 and 14. So I'm raising my own pastor's kids now. Um, mm. I was a pastor's kid all growing up and then decided not to be in ministry, as many of us who were pastor's kids uh, chose not to be. And then you can run, but you can't hide is my mantra for all of us. And I ended up in full-time ministry in my mid-20s as a worship leader. And really, I'm just a pastor's kid turned pastor, which I think is a great phenomenon in this day and age anymore. Those of us who kind of have held on, but also really want to change some things. We want to look back and see where the church did really wonderful things for us. And then also, you know, how we can do it better. And so I'm trying that. I'm with my husband. We've been married 16 years and our two kids and we live in Kentucky. And, you know, we're just living the dream of raising kids in this crazy world right now. I uh, have fun by vintage clothes shopping. Um, my husband was a professional pitcher for 15 years, so he wasn't in ministry. And so he's actually, other than Jesus, the real reason I haven't quit ministry. Um, mm. 
And we just, you know, we're just a normal family doing holy work in hard places. And this book and this ministry came from my own season of wanting to quit and being honest with God and saying, I grew up in this and now I'm in it as an adult and people are really just messy and ugly. And I don't know that I want to keep doing ministry. I kind of want to be a Starbucks barista, if that's okay. Um, And it was on that walk with the Lord in 2019, me begging him to let me quit that he gave me this phrase raised to stay. And mm-hmm. that began this journey for me of just choosing to write every day, something that would keep me in ministry. And it became a social media platform and family. And that's where we are now. That's, that's beautiful. So <laughs> you grew up growing up in the church as a pastor's kid is something that I, I did not experience. I was a football coach kid. So, um, uh, it's a different world. My dad was Same a high thing. school football coach. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was always interesting when uh, you'd get reporters calling and you'd be like, Dad, this guy sounds grumpy, um, but different. But, um, you know, I, I'm a pastor. I've been a pastor now for almost 25 years and I have two kids. And and we, before that, I was a youth pastor and um, the pastor's kids would always run away to our house. And so we got to see sort of the unique side of the pressures that are that are whether they're they're real or perceived that are put on pastors kids could you speak to that for us a little bit i always compared it to living in a fishbowl like a big glass bowl where everyone could see every angle of you they could see your front back sides they could see every aspect of your life but you had this distorted view of only what was right in front of you and it was a view that was distorted by things you shouldn't have heard your parents talking about as they were going to bed at night, thin walls, phone conversations. You only knew this little bit of what was actually happening in this grander space that would either make your parents cry or it would make them happy. You didn't really know who was behind what made them cry. You didn't know why you would, you were leaving a particular church or a position. You just knew you were part of this giant family business that you may or may not have chosen uh, to to take over once you were 18. And I think that you have an advantage in that you get this front row view to how beautiful the church can be. And I, I fell in love with the church being a pastor's kid. And mm-hmm. I think in a lot of ways, that's why I still love it now is that my dad taught me to love the people before I loved a position, a title, anything like that. And so because I learned to love the people, I would then have to learn how to be hurt by the people. And, you know, we can only be hurt by people we've loved. And so as a pastor's kid, you're constantly juggling this, wanting to protect your family and wanting to keep the family uh, happy. And then also wanting to love these very people that are stabbing you in the back while looking at you in the eyes. And it's a, it's just such a, a strange place to grow up in. <laughs> yeah. No, for sure. It's we um, as a as a pastor, there's been a few times where I have felt that from a father perspective of just like, you know, you're not going to talk about my kids that way. And like, there's this weird space of like, I need to listen to what's being said. But I also find my anger and my frustration and like, my papa bear sort of coming out in this really unique way. And and um yeah, I mean, I feel like we've we've journeyed with a lot of pa- PKs and and a lot of pastors' kids, and and we have some friends who are PKs that are now in ministry, and it's just such a beautiful thing. But I think you're really right in terms of just realizing that 
there's this challenge of how do I protect my family and how do I love the people that that may be very well intended but but seem like they're attacking my family and there's a lot of hurt that comes with that. So, you know, I we don't have to go into all of the war stories and all the horror stories, but like yeah, talk about some of the like maybe some of the themes of the hurt that you've experienced as a pastor. I think a lot of what we see when we're not talking about abuse, but we're talking about hurt is just disappointment. <laughs> you know, it's it's church disappointment. It's it's mm. church uh, relationships. It's people that should be protecting you, not protecting you. It's the the institution that should be a covering suddenly exposing you and and not being that safe place that the church could and should be. And I remember my dad telling a board, I will bag groceries at Walmart before I let the church hurt my daughter. And I think when our kids hear us speak that way, when we say, come hell or high water, the church is not going to destroy this family. Then when we get disappointed, when we get hurt, when we get let down, there's a safety in our nucleus, in our family nucleus, that the church cannot provide us. We know that people are going to let us down. Paul says this, you know, in 2 Corinthians, where he says, I have been, you know, let down by my enemies, and I've been betrayed by my brothers. And so we know that being in ministry, there's going to be a betrayal, there's going to be hurt. Um, but I think when we know that our family is secure, when our parents have made us as pastors kids priority that even now as a pastor I go in with that same expectation I expect to get hurt and I'm pleasantly surprised when I don't huh. and I think we have to go in knowing people are going to disappoint us um I have had toxic leaders I've had more spiritual abuse than I have any other kind of abuse I've had female women like leaders really be jealous of me and kind of represent my own Saul in my life and I think we have to own the disappointment and say that person hurt me, but here's how I am going to not attach a good God to imperfect people. And I have to walk into the church every day mm. with my own kids knowing that I'd bag groceries at Walmart before I'd let anybody hurt them, but also that God has called me to this space and I should expect to be hurt, but, but pleasantly surprised when I'm not. Mm. So how, how do you, how, how did you build that? Like, what does it look like? Cause I can think about all the young pastors or old pastors who are listening, thinking like, when you talk about spiritual abuse, and I like how you made that distinction. We're not talking about abuse. We're talking about hurt. And I think, um, thank you for saying that. I, I, I think there's something really important about that. So how do you develop that kind of, um, fortitude and also that kind of grace that comes along with that? I think we all have been through a hurt and a hard. And my book is divided into four sections, the hurt and the hard. We could all sit down and we could journal for years on the hurt and the hard of ministry. And most of us will quit before we get to the next two sections, which is the hope and the holy. And what happens once we have kind of gone through the very thing that we thought would break us, when we've had a Judas at our table, when we've had a Saul uh, lead us, when we choose not to quit, after some pretty hard stuff, we begin to see God work on those promises and his word that says that he will make all things turn out for our good, that there is beauty in the ashes, that we are not the tail, we are the head. We begin to see those promises that are yes and amen come into play when we stay in position. Now, when I say stay in position, I don't mean stay in a toxic church, stay in abusive leadership. I mean, when we remain, as John 15 talks about remaining on the vine. 
Jesus says that if we remain on that vine, that we will produce good fruit through the pruning of our father. And that pruning can often feel like the hurt and the hard. But we know that there is going to be fruit that will come from that because God promises us that. So I would say this, that a lot of us are disconnecting from the vine because we didn't know how hard it was going to be and we didn't know how hurt we were going to get. And we're quitting before we see the goodness of this father mm-hmm. who says that he will finish everything that he starts in us, which is Philippians 1, 6. And I would just say that if you're going to love people, you're going to be hurt by people. But God is a God of reconciliation and restoration. So if we stay in position, we will seek God do what he says he will gonna, he's going to do, but we uproot before the miracle. And I am determined and I have become determined as I have watched God restore and resolve in my own life to stay until he has a chance to prove himself as God. Um, mm. And every time he does, every time in my life he has. Uh, so that's why I have enough FOMO in the kingdom, enough fear of missing out that I want to know what God's going to do. And some of us need to get mad at the enemy enough to hold on so that we can all kick him in the face and show him who our God is. Um, But I understand why people uproot because it, it sometimes is just too painful to stay. Yeah. Could you maybe share a, like a personal story of like how you saw holding and staying in that space to like producing something like how you watched a hurt transform in your life in the church? When I was 18, we lived in the church parsonage. And if you don't know what a church parsonage is, it's the pastor's home that's on the property of the of the church. And I loved that house. Uh, we were at every funeral, every wedding. We were in the doors. Every time they were open, I learned how to play the piano in that church. That was my childhood. Those people, we saw them more than we saw my biological family. And one Sunday, we showed up. I'm a senior in high school, supposed to go to a seminary after college to be a youth pastor. We show up one day and we're told, this is your last Sunday, pack up the parsonage and go. No explanation, no warning, homeless. I had never seen my dad looking for jobs before. I had no idea what to do with myself. My entire identity was wrapped up in being a pastor's kid in the fact that I was going to be a youth pastor. And we end up being homeless, living above a barn for the majority of my senior year without any income, without any way of knowing what was going to happen. I felt so much like David in that sense that there was a Saul chasing me and this church that was supposed to love and protect me had abandoned me. I felt homeless. I felt like I had no identity. And for 20 years, I believed that the people of that church hated us. Mm. I believed it. And when I saw them in stores, I would go the other way. When we ran into them at camp meetings and revivals, I, I didn't even want to have a conversation. I wanted the entire institution to crash and burn. I wanted them to pay for the way that they had hurt my family. Mm. Two years ago, I get a phone call from that church. The new pastors had been in my youth group at that time. And they said, Natalie, we're having the 100 year anniversary and we are inviting everybody back. Would you come and lead worship? And I was like, Oh, why would I go and lead worship? Like, why would I do that? There's been medication and counseling and all the things, you know? And they said, no, because we're inviting everybody back. And so the Lord said, you know what? You're writing a book about a reconciled church. Go back. And I didn't have a 12th chapter. I didn't have a final chapter. And and so I thought there has to be something there. So I got on a plane, flew home, went to this church. The parsonage was torn down. The church looked the same, walked in, and all these people are there who had been actively part of that day. We had been dismissed. 
And I walk mm. up onto the platform to lead worship with these people. And I didn't know what to expect throughout the whole service. Finally, at offering, the pastor starts introducing all of us on the platform. And he gets to me and he says, this is Natalie. Her dad was one of our favorite pastors to ever pastor this church. And the whole room went up in applause. And I remember standing there and just looking out in disbelief that these very people who I thought had hated me all these years actually loved us. And that the enemy had used all of that time to make me believe that the actions of a few unhealthy leaders represented the grand total church. And afterwards, all these sweet old people were coming up to me. They were still alive, which means they weren't 80 when I was a kid. I swore they were 80. They're still alive. So they must have been in their 50s. They're hugging me and saying, you look just like your daddy and tell your mom we miss her singing and tell your dad he was my you know, favorite hunting buddy. I mean, all this stuff. And the Lord was like, if you would have quit, you would have never seen this moment 25 years later. You would have never seen me make all things good. And what you thought was an exile was just an exodus. I had to get you out to get you guys to the next thing. And a lot of us are believing the enemy that one bad leader represents the greater church. And I am living in that right now as a 43-year-old pastor's kid who has let the enemy tell a lot of lies. I am now watching the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living as I step into places I said I'd never go back to. And I allow people who I thought hated me love me. Mm. And um, I think we need to stay in position so we can have more of those moments. Wow. Man, well, yay, God, that that feels like such a beautiful story of, of redemption. And I think that that's, that's what encourages me about, j- just about your posture in, 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 in all of what you've written, but even just in this conversation, which is like, there's this deep hope of like, no, this is a beautiful thing. It's just people do dumb stuff and there are some hard things that happen. But we need to continue to just trust that God is good and that he's at work in this. And so I guess that question is like, yeah. what would you say to the yeah. what would you say to that young pastor right now who is feeling like really hurt? Just, you know, maybe maybe they're misunderstood by one of the leaders, or maybe there's a volunteer that's just kind of being a, a an old curmudgeon. Like, how would you want to encourage her today? You know, first of all, I would say, I believe you. Like, yeah, this thing called ministry is one of the hardest and one of the most beautifully brutal things that we will ever say yes to. And I believe anyone, I believe anyone who tells me that it's hard, that they've been abused, that they have been hurt. And I would say that you're not alone. I would say that there are more people who are for you than against you. And that that one person probably feels like the whole world right now because they are consuming your thoughts and your prayers and your shower (laughs) and you're fighting invisible battles all the time with the people who are um, having a hard time understanding your heart and intentions. But to remember that God is a God who puts us in positions for a reason and that what he has for you is exactly where you're supposed to be. And as you learn to love people, And as you learn to say yes to your assignment, that the lightness of this burden will begin to to shift. You won't feel it as much as you begin to just lay those burdens at the Lord's feet, but also to remember that people are people. My dad would always say ministry would be wonderful if people weren't involved. And I think we have to remind ourselves that the same grace that God gives us every single day, he's asking us to give one another and to approach every conversation in truth, humility, and love to know that you might have a Judas at your table, but there's a Jesus there too. And Mm -hmm. there might be a Saul, 
holding you hostage in their office every single day. But there is a Paul waiting for you as well. And so just to remember that God has not left you. He has not taken his eyes off of you and that there will be challenging leaders and challenging congregants. But God has positioned you for such a time as this. And if he has called you to it, he will equip you for it. Mm, that's so good. It's interesting because I appreciated how you, uh, one of the, somewhere in your book, I can't remember exactly where, but you talked about looking for a Paul. Um, can, yeah, talk about that a little bit. It's interesting to me because we hear all about the Judases, right? I mean, I could name you in probably five seconds about 20 Judases in my life and ministry and about 20 Sauls who have tried to take me out and nearly did, right? Because those are the juicy, spicy stuff that we want to hear in church gossip. Well, who hurt who? Who did this? Mm. But what I love about Paul is that when Paul talks about Timothy, he says things like, you'll never meet anybody like him. You can trust him. He's one of my favorite people. You hear Paul endorsing Timothy wherever he goes. And I have to believe, I have to believe that there are going to be Pauls put in my life who, even though there are people who have spoken death over me and spoken word curses and have tried to compete with me, that the voices of my Paul are going to be louder, those mentors, those disciplers. And I get the question all the time, well, how do you find a Paul? How do you know who a Paul is? You go for somebody who's 10, 20, 30 years older than you, and you say, I want to take you to coffee, and I want you to tell me everything you know about Jesus. And I don't care if it takes us eight years, 10 years, I want to sit and I want to hear what God has done in your life. And then from there, you have people who will go out on your behalf and say, have you met so-and-so? Have you met Natalie? I promise you, you can trust her. She's good. She's got the Lord in her heart. And then suddenly all those voices of our Pauls get louder than the voices of our Sauls. But we have to pursue our Pauls and not run from accountability because we don't want to be wrong. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of us are afraid of being corrected because we've been corrected by abusers or we've been corrected by people who didn't have our heart and interest. And so we are shying away from accountability when that's the very thing that will help overcome the voices of our accusers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really appreciate that because I feel like so many of the stories that I hear are horror stories, right? Like, I mean, when you've been in ministry for more than three weeks, you've heard at least one or two horror stories. But I feel like, you know, out of all the pastors that I grew up with working with, and only a few of them are left, most of them have, have just had, it's like they couldn't take it. Like it was just way too much. And there's been many, I mean, my goodness, I've had my resignation or my job, I, I want to work at Home Depot. I want to be the guy that cuts wood in the back. Like, that's my thing. Like, just bring me a piece of plywood. I'll cut it. You know, it's too long. I cut it again, like nice and simple stuff. Um, but I think that there's something really important about, uh, for me, it was a guy named Branson Roberts. He was, he was my Paul. You know, I, I worked in a very toxic place for, for a while or a church that had some toxic things going on. And then it, it shifted, which was such a, a gift from the Lord. Um, but Branson was in his 60s, his late sixties. And that guy just like poured into me. And, and it was funny because I don't know if this has happened to you, but I look back on my 20s and I'm like, I was such a jerk. Like I had these moments of like, I had this like theological high ground and I knew everything and if it would only do this, but really it's almost like what Branson did in this. I mean, this is how cool he was. Like we, we told him he was Yoda and he, he just thought it was funny until one day he's like, hey, Doug, who's Yoda? And we're like, wow. <laughs> this guy is holy. Um, but I'm just grateful for that relationship. And I think you're right for young pastors and young leaders to say, 
find that person in the church that you're like, I want to be like that guy or that girl when, mm-hmm. when I'm, when I'm older um, and just sit at their feet and like learn. And there's something really beautiful that happens there. There is. And I, I know social media is like such a huge part of what we do. And I understand, I mean, that's how this whole ministry has been created, but to be physically in proximity with those that we can get coffee with and hug and like give gifts to and not just read hot takes on Instagram and be mentored by people that live 3000 miles away. But to find that dad who's 10 minutes down the road to find that grandma that's, you know, close, there is something about sitting shoulder to shoulder with somebody with the word opened. And so I would say I know social media is a good resource, but it should never replace having someone that can daily pop in our house at any time, check our internet, check our shelves, check what we're reading, check what we're saying, you know, that accountability will keep us from acting like the fools we were when we were 20. (laughs) Yes. Oh, the 20 year old self. It's a beautiful thing. Um, So you've worked on quite a few staffs then, correct? Mm-hmm. Like, t- like, what do you think makes up really healthy staff, like a, a healthy staff uh, that can help people stay? Because I feel like that's one of the biggest things that I've noticed is that um, staff turnover is huge within churches. And my sense is a lot of that, you know, we've heard all the horror stories around abuse and spiritual abuse and physical and sexual abuse, you know, all of that stuff. But I don't hear a lot of stories of churches that are doing it well. And so like, what would, what do you think it would look like to have a church that had this sort of idea of, man, we want people to stay and be here for the long haul and grow old in these positions? It's such a good question. I think it's ongoing as we continue to dive into why there is such high turnover. One of the things that we're seeing is that pastors are becoming less and less accessible to their staff. So they're doing the hiring and then they're kind of disappearing and letting people Uh, run their staff for them. And, you know, when you're the shepherd of a church, I know you can't be accessible to all your staff all the time, but there is something to be said for your pastor, knowing the people who are protecting the sheep. And I think that with any time a pastor is able to uh, really feed into, especially his male staff, that those people feel seen, they feel heard, they feel validated. I think number two, it's, that a lot of times staff would rather quit than contend for healthy culture because every time they, you know, would report abuse or anything, they'd be called divisive or gossips. And Mm -hmm. I think we have to start believing people. When we find out that our star, whoever is abusing people, we have to choose anointing and character over talent. And so if we keep hiring people because they're talented, but they're hidden abusers, and then the people that have been loyal to us are coming and reporting bad behavior, we need to contend for healthy culture and not try to justify bad behavior because Mm -hmm. of talent. And so I do believe that we're seeing a little bit of that right now. And we're seeing it exposed through different documentaries and things like that. But I believe that if we're hiring for talent over anointing and character, it will come back to bite us. Mm -hmm. And our staff know who the favorites are, our staff knows who's untouchable, and they'd rather quit then contend for that. And I also think our staff cultures need to be one of prayer. If it's just constantly pushing out work, putting out programs, putting out things that make the church look good, but we're not worshiping together, we're not praying together, we're not spending time in community with each other, it makes it a lot easier for people to uproot because there's no relational equity there. So that's my three. I think pastors have to be involved in their staff culture. 
I think that there has to be an open dialogue for there to be critical thinking and reports of abuse. And I also think that we have to be a staff of prayer and it can't just be to crank out content. Well, I will definitely buy that book as well when we come out with it. Because, I mean, these are the, this is the stuff that keeps me up at night. You know, I, I'm blessed. I, the staff that I work with, we have, we have uh, it's one, two, three, four. We have five people on staff right now. And they're like, it's, it feels like family. And it's just been such a gift. And the meetings we have and the honesty and the vulnerability and, and like, there's such, it's such a beautiful thing. And I feel like the challenge that I've noticed is, um, you know, the, the staff that I worked at for the season that I did, I, I have more hard stories than I do have like really healthy and exciting and good stories. And so my, my sense is there's just something in all of this that is that like, I feel like if you're a pastor on a staff or a lead pastor or a senior pastor, to really take those three things into context, I, I think is really important to me personally. Um, and I, yeah, I just, I appreciate the way that you're framing all of that. And I just, I don't know, I think it's really important because I'm, I'm, I'm watching the documentaries, I'm listening to the podcasts and, and my heart's breaking for the church because it's like, man, we can't even figure out how to, you know, how to lead one another. There's, there's some, we, we have some dangerous stuff, but I, I'm also like kind of tired of hearing the horror stories and I want to hear what are some of the good stories that are happening? So thank you so much for that. Well, and I, I think too, I think too, we just have to be willing to call a spade a spade. And when something's not working, pastors have to stop getting so defensive. And I call, I'm calling myself out in this. Like if right. my team comes to me and says, Natalie, the way you're communicating with us is hurting us. The way you're not communicating with us is hurting us. I want to be better for them because I don't want them to leave me. <laughs> I yeah. want them to be working at all cylinders. And if something that I'm doing as a leader is keeping them from being able to do that, then I need to step up and I need to hear them. And even if it's nothing I can change in the moment, at least validate them. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. Um, yeah. A couple other questions. Just, I think this is always something that I just appreciate. What are the practices that keep you healthy and grounded? You know, I'm a mom of tween girls and I was on a full-time staff for the last 20 years. I have what feels like zero capacity right now, if I'm honest. And then I decided to write a book. So I don't want to act like super Christian in this conversation and be like, oh, I'm up in my prayer closet at, you know, 5 a.m. every morning. Because truth is, I'm not. I watch way too much Netflix. <laughs> I have coping mechanisms because ministry is hard. And I, I do watch a lot of reruns of Friends. And so I just want to be honest up front and just say, there is no super Christian. And we're all coping in ways that some of us, you know, we have to be honest about. But I would say for me personally, I had to really learn to love worship again after being a worship leader. Mm. There was a time I couldn't even listen to K-Love or worship because I was so burned out on that. And so I had to really find something other than music to get cloudy in my head. I, I needed to get with the Lord where there was no distractions, no voices, and just let him talk to me. And so journaling has become my way of being in the word with the Lord, with my Bible open and just let him talk to me and just journal through his word, what I feel like he's saying to me. And I know that sounds like so anticlimactic, but as pastors, we have people in our ears all the time. We have people talking to us all the time as parents, as pastors, we are no longer, we no longer have a threshold. And so when we do spend time with the Lord, be it in our cars, in our offices, in our basements, in our bedrooms, wherever we are, 
I need it to be so concentrated that it is all that I hear from him. And so for me, it has been total silence. It has been crying and being honest and, and reading not other people's books because I don't want to know all the time what other people are saying. I need to hear from the Lord. And so as pastors and leaders, there's a time to be educated and then there's a time to be in the presence of God. And I, I believe that sometimes we think if we just know more and if we just read more and if we just prove to everybody that we have the, the degree and the credentials to say what we're saying, but what God teaches us in that secret place when it's just his voice in our, in our hearts is irreplaceable. And so I'm learning every day um, what that looks like for me. And some days it is worship music and some days it is you know, going to a different church down the street and, you know, but I just know that being with the Lord is a non-negotiable. Yeah, that's really, that's really helpful. And I appreciate your honesty um, in terms of, you know, <laughs> we don't, sometimes Netflix feels like what I need to do and we have these coping mechanisms. And I, I just think there's something about that that is also helpful because in the church culture that I grew up in, it felt like the really, the real spiritual people were just, the person that I will never be able to become. And it's like, God takes my personality and who I am. And yeah, and we need silence. And some of us, you know, we need to talk with Jesus when we're out for a walk or out for a run or doing something very physical because that's just the way that we're wired. So yeah, I really appreciate that. Um, yeah, any any last encouragements to, to pastors around staying? You know, I think that um, in the Beatitudes, it says, blessed are those who are at the end of your rope. For that is where God can truly begin. And I think a lot of us get to the end of the rope and we think, well, I'm out of, uh, you know, equity here. I'm out of real estate. I might as well just quit and go do something else. And the truth is, yes, you could do that. And you could be an incredible Lowe's worker. You could be an incredible Starbucks barista, but that's not what God has called you to. And when we get to the end of our rope, we have to remember that that is where God truly begins, that that's where he takes our little loaves and fishes that we're bringing to him, our little lunchable, and he multiplies it for his glory to feed the multitudes. It's not about what we have, it's what we don't have. It's letting him be God and to show up in these places where we feel um, the most alone and the most vulnerable. And I think right now, the world is looking for a church that just simply has open doors. We don't have to have the answers. We don't have to have the slickest material or suits. They just want people who are available to, with their yes to Jesus. And so if you have a yes for Jesus, then he still has something for you to do. So good. All right. Lastly, where can people hang out with you and engage with you? Well, our Instagram family is raised to stay. It's a robust group of individuals that I just, I love them so much. We're, we just hit over 105,000, which is crazy. Hey. 105,000 stayers, which is awesome. And then on Facebook under Natalie Runyon, you know, we have a community there. And then the book comes out July 4th. So it's actually going to be out. So you can go get it now and you can get it everywhere. You can get it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. And this book is really a gentle book. It's not meant to, you know, hit anybody over the head with anything. Um, I hope it's a conversation starters for churches and leadership on how we can better be the hands and feet of Jesus right now, right where we are. Mm. Yeah, thank you so much, Natalie. It's good to be with you today. Good to be with you. Thank you. Thank you.